we come to the end of a quite some chapter in the history of this podcast, which upwards of seven people have enjoyed along with us. Yes, it's, it's been emotional for it those has. of you who didn't join in. There's more than seven people listen to this. Yeah, at least eight. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even nine. Yeah. So, um, yes, the final, the final chapter of Game Club, uh, the final sort of nostalgic look back at uh, one of the old games. We hope, we hope, yes, uh, we hope that we're able to play through this season and and start the new one, which will start like the week after this season finishes, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've uh, we've got all our plans in place for June and the games, and we'll be able to cover them hopefully pretty sharpish after they take place for the for the most part. And um, we'll just be back to doing reviews of games and previews. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this show, which is about the the five all draw at West Bromwich Albion that um, marked the end of. Uh, sorry, I've gone already. I've gone early. Mark oh, the end of Alex Ferguson's reign. Yeah, uh, mark the end of Alex Ferguson's reign uh, in charge of Man United. Um, and then we're going to do our. our we, what we're going to do is we're going to pick the the game club best eleven um, at the uh, uh, which is which is not based on the players who have played for United over this period um, that we've covered because that's from 1968 to 2015. Uh, but it's it's like performances in the games that we've watched. Um, that's that's what we're basing that on. Um, and then we're going to do a, a kind so, of... So, so does George Best lose out to Jesper Blomqvist next uh, week? <laughs> I mean, G- George Best loses out on a number of different... I was very disappointed by watching George Best, I have to say. Sorry to our older listeners, I'm sure. There would have been many other fine opportunities to watch him. Uh, he doesn't make my 11, spoiler warning. Uh, nor does Jesper Blomqvist, who kind of makes my... What the hell was Fergie thinking? Eleven um, of this era. We should do one of those as well, actually. Um, uh, so this game, though, was—I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this remembers the five-all. Might not remember some of the detail of it, but yeah. we've all seen the defining image of Alex Ferguson bowing uh, in thanks to the away support. Uh, yes, yes. Ha- how did you find watching this game, Ed? Well, I, I actually kind of enjoyed it, really. I mean, apart yeah. from the hapless defending in the second half, of which there was much, and uh, even more hapless goalkeeping. Um, it was interesting to see Fergie's final ever team. And, of course, he brought on some of the old stalwarts, Skulls, Giggs and Ferdinand came on just to you know, see it out. I, I wasn't at this game. Were you? Did you go to this game? No, I went and walked around the stadium, bought some programs and stuff in the morning, but and um, just kind of yeah. looking around if anyone had tickets. But obviously, no. Yeah, I still did. have a program. I couldn't. Did you or? Yeah, I. I think you I sent me a program. Me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I thought someone else did, but maybe I got. Two. Yeah, we've had this. We've had this we've conversation, had this conversation so before, many times. Yeah. I bought. Yeah. I bought like five or something. Yeah, I mean, of course, to... if you're a, a decent friend, you'd have got it signed by Fergie, but you didn't. Yeah, sorry about that. Shocking. Um, yes, no, it, it was really interesting to look back and, uh, you know, all the uh, all the anger, disappointment about what's happened since kind of comes flooding back. You're like, just give us one more season, maybe maybe two. But uh, sadly, it wasn't to be. Uh, and it's shame he couldn't bow out at Old Trafford, but of course the week before he was able to proclaim... Phil Jones, the greatest ever Manchester United player. No, that was this game. That was this that game. Was this game he, it was, was it? this game that after that that he said he's going to be he's going ah. to be United's greatest ever player. I'm pretty sure it was after this one because um, he puts in one good tackle in this game. 
um, Hook Giants yes. does. Yes, the kind of tackle that get you a couple of red cards these days with VAR. Um, there's something there's something about the the spectacle of the penultimate game being at Old Trafford, and that was obviously like extremely emotional, extremely like heightened and stagey. Not that it shouldn't have been, but um, but it was very performative. This was there's something really fitting about the goodbye to the away fans at a kind of straggly, scraggly old stadium with the fans right near the pitch in this kind of two thirds of one end. And there's something almost uh, purer about it. Authentic is kind of feels like a weird buzzword to use, but it has a, a texture of authenticity to it, which it felt like a very, very real moment that did. Well, yes, and of course, those away fans were probably probably many of them had been alongside Fergie for most of his time at United. You know, it's a very loyal uh, away support, of course. And so, yes, I, I don't know whether it's any more authentic than being at Old Trafford, Old Trafford necessarily, but it, you know, this is the core Manchester United support that you'd want to say goodbye to, of course. Yeah, I'm not talking about the supporters being more authentic. That not at all. I'm talking about the occasion the moment, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, just just there's no you know there's no placards and guard of honor and pomp uh, music right. and pomp they, and they circumstance. Didn't put anything on especially like you know that like they would have done at Old Trafford. Um, it, what wasn't authentic, of course, was the team, which is not exactly an authentic <laughs> Fergie best eleven. Is it? I mean, you know, there's some decent players in here, some very decent players, uh, but a few that he gave, you know, an end of an end of season sort of, you know, appearance to. Yes, and that was definitely reflected in the scoreline uh, in the form of the goalkeeper Anders Lindegaard. Oh my goodness! Remember when there were many people arguing on Twitter that he should be Manchester United's number one um, because he played. This is his tenth appearance in the Premier League. In this season, so David Hayes' second season at the club, and and still he was fighting for a place against this trash. Yeah, I mean, this was also the season where that ended forever. Um, there was no, there was no more Anders Lindegaard battling for places after this, was there? It was David Hayes' position once, but it's weird that that was right up until the end. Fergie never decided. It was it was in fact David Moyes that decided. Valencia at right back. Thank you, David Moyes. Yeah, cheers, mate. Uh, Valencia at right back, the very early Valencia at right back outing. Yes, we only had to suffer six more seasons of that. Um, Alex Bootner at left back. We didn't get to enjoy many more seasons of that. No, I mean, yeah, actually, he has a half-decent game. I mean, he's he's taken off, isn't he? Late? No, no yeah. he's not. Is he? No, no, no. No, Kegel, Tom Cleverley Kegel, is. Evans and Cleverly go off. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's he likes getting forward, scores a very good goal, uh, which we'll come to, I guess. Um, it was always the defensive side of his game that was the problem. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's really at fault for any of the five West Brom goals. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, Jones and Evans uh, as a centre-back pairing. Not necessarily a centre-back pairing that... You know, as I'm a, a very on-record admirer of Johnny Evans's work, but you wouldn't want him alongside Phil Jones particularly. No, I mean, as we spoke about last week, Evans has matured over the last seven years 
Phil yeah. Jones hasn't. No, funnily I mean, enough. Just like, I mean, you couldn't actually honestly say he doesn't have a bad game. I mean, I, you know, he scored five, concede five goals. We're not really his fault. Um, but he hasn't grown in this time, which is extraordinary, really. Yeah, because there's a sort of combination in this team selection of um, giving a few players a, a charity game and a bit of a nod to the future. Because I think he played Kagawa at 10. I think that was a that was quite a forward-looking move because it just didn't happen very often that season. And I think it was it was a, like, let's see what this might look like kind of thing. So he played... Um, it's a weird formation. Uh, who scored have got it as a 4-2-3-1 with Anderson and Carrick holding, cleverly on the left, Kagawa in the middle, and... Um, it's, it's a diamond, basically, they, isn't they, it? So. They've, they've got Kagawa on the right, Hernandez behind RVP, which I think is a very weird description of what happens. But yeah, so it is a diamond, absolutely. They're doing a very nice thing with the Bundesliga coverage at the moment, which is in-game average position. They do this weird arrows thing, which is wrong, which is supposed to be telling you where where they would look like on a normal formation map. But mm-hmm. the arrow doesn't help. It, it doesn't help at all. But anyway, so in-game formation. I suspect if you look at the the heat map on this one, which I'm, I assume I haven't looked at, it, I assume who scored has. Uh, you'd you'd see it looks much more like a diamond uh, with Carrick holding and. And Anderson getting forward uh, alongside Cleverly a fair bit, and, and Kagawa trying to pull the strings. I mean, in it's it's Shinji all over this one, isn't it? Some lovely touches, and then a lot of just not being influential enough on the game at all for a number ten, and just some absolutely wasted passes as well. And like a couple of the goals come from him making mistakes and then bubbling. Fortunately, watching him just makes me sad. Not quite as sad as. The, the chance, which I remember from the time, and I remember being quite, like, I thought thinking it was quite good that United fans spent a solid 30 minutes of the second half singing about David Moyes, which felt kind of like forward-looking and appropriate or whatever. But, oh my God, it made me angry in retrospect. Just, just how anyone ever thought that was anything approaching a good idea at oh, this point. God, God. I mean, I did. Yes, I don't want to relitigate this, but uh, I have to say, as I, as as you know, I was not a fan of David Moyes being appointed. No, you know, me neither. Take one of the greatest managers ever, or the greatest manager ever in the history of the game, and replace him with you know light version who had no credibility. So, like twenty twenty, of course, is 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 beautiful hindsight. That is not the year. Twenty twenty is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and of course it completely collapsed around David Moyes after this. Of course it did. Uh, and in the bonus content, we're going to talk a little bit, I think, about how it could perhaps not have if different decisions had been made. But anyway, yes, the the chanting about David Moyes, hmm, dear, oh, it's not good. I mean, you've got to do it, haven't you? It was course, the right course, thing to do, but and, like... and and they and and fans at Old Trafford chanted about, and in fact, the way support even more um, supported David Moyes right up to the day he was sacked, basically. Yeah, I mean, they literally stopped supporting him on the day he was sacked. By the way, because that Everton away game was pretty grim. Um, but yeah, the 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 whole Fergie business. Uh, it's been it's been. Uh, I would say, like, genuinely a little bit difficult, really, like, 
just drenching yourself in how good Fergie was for the last number of months. I mean, first of all, I definitely think it's a kind of important thing to do for, you know, the two of us who spent the last three years of his career nitpicking every decision he ever made um, for on a public forum uh, uh, to just be like, no, we just need to stop and eat a bit of humble pie and go, yep, sure, he did. Of course, he made lots of mistakes, but the the net effect of Fergie was just miraculous. And the 442, the last episode, episode issue of 442, um, had a top 50 managers of all time thing in it. There's some weird choices, but Fergie's number one. And, and there's no, I don't see how you could really have a meaningful debate about it um, in, in all sorts of different ways. But just experientially in the last few months of just being drowned in United nostalgia, it's just Fergie through and through. That's the thing that's come out over and over again. I mean, we've talked about the players and we'll do that a lot. In the next episode, but I mean, it was just unbelievable. Sure, he dragged more out of these teams than he could hope for. He built and then rebuilt and then rebuilt again. You know, and this is for sure. He the he built this team to get the most out of what he could. It's definitely not the the best United uh, team ever. Although they finished on eighty nine points, very very. Uh, very good total. They were one game away from a Premier League record number of wins. If they'd managed to hold on to a healthy lead and not blow it in the last 10 minutes, that would have been, at the time, a Premier League record number of wins. Um, so, you know, it looks very good, but I, I think we know where the holes are. I mean, just just the fact that um, there are a bunch of 30-somethings on the bench coming to the end of their career... Uh, and a bunch of very average players in this team playing, and that was the extent of the squad. Tells you something about how he managed to extract one last, just one last push. Uh, and Robin van Persie scoring 30 goals helps, of course. Yeah, I mean, also I do think some of those players, there's a slight re-evaluation due, because I would say like out of that starting eleven, well, Lindegaard is bang average, but he wasn't the future. That was... that wasn't actually a real problem Bootner is pretty average defensively but he definitely had something to add to the team sure, and he hardly played in this yeah. campaign I mean Evero was was you know a fixture um yeah kept scoring headers I seem to remember from set pieces um I mean Phil Jones could could well not have ended up being average at this point you know I don't. I don't think either of us would have said in 2013 that he's an average player. I think we'd have both said he's huge talent, huge potential. Sure, and and everyone believed it at the time. Yeah, of course. And he he United bought Smalling first, and then Jones. Yeah, and, and I think there was a lot of feeling at the time that they'd bought the wrong young English centre back. Uh, so Jones was, yeah, you know, when they bought Smalling, right? They, so Jones was the the great hope. Uh, for you know, for England and and for United, when he came, he's just just not progressed in seven years. Injuries in and out of the team, a lot of chopping and changing, and managers, poor team, all of that have contributed to to him not fulfilling that great potential. And then I think the other player that will kind of leap out at most people looking at this team sheet and as kind of an average player would be Tom Cleverley, who again I think that's just a, a really inaccurate analysis of Tom Cleverley he I think a a career under Alex Ferguson 
he probably could have had a very substantial Darren Fletcher-esque Man United career under if he'd spent another 10 years under Alex Ferguson. Like he 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 is perfectly serviceable. We've seen him play, I think it's two games that we've seen. So good games in both of them, like influential, good on the ball, just a lot better than a lot of what we've had since, <laughs> essentially. Um, and I, I, I think, I, don't, I just don't think he was kind of bang average, basically. No, and and uh, the winning the Premier League title tells you that they weren't average. Just not, just not Fergie's best. No, anyway, of course so, no. In, interesting team for his final game, uh, and uh, interesting start to the game, wasn't it? With uh, what five minutes gone when Kagawa scores, and it's a nice goal as well. Yes, brilliant. Like it starts in our box. Tom Cleverley, really um, nice bit of interplay around the edge of our box, and then he does overhit a kind of attempt at a pinpoint Carrick-esque diag, which doesn't quite get right. But it sticks in the far corner, and Hernandez catches up with it, lofts in an outswinging cross um, towards the near near corner of the six yard box, and some some what the Australians would call ordinary defending. <laughs> on the part of West Brom, there. yes, well, and yeah, quite, quite, quite ordinary. Uh, which is many of these defenders. Is it Olsen that misses him? Yeah, Olsen has a stinker of a game. Uh, own goal coming up next, and then one of the worst misses in the history of football uh, the, later um, in the game. The the essentially like I thought that I had seen the worst defensive performance in a game that West Brom featured. Well, West Brom versus Man United. Uh, but it turns out Gary Neville might be off the hook. And Olsen might just have had a worse game than Gary Neville had in his retirement game. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Neville, who famously retired at halftime. If you're listening, Gaz, you made the right decision. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so yeah, really, really nice goal. You know, end-to-end, uh, lovely cross. And, and who knew Shinji Kagawa could come up with a towering header? Um, then he kind of drives, uh, drives towards the box a couple minutes later, Kagawa's driving towards the box. He gets his through ball all kinds of wrong, but it bounces to Anderson, knocks it wide to Valencia, drills in across. And I don't know what Olsen's doing. Like he just dives it. Maybe he's terrified of missing the ball because of some future flash forward of what's about to happen later in the game. But he, a very unnecessary own goal. I, it just gets it so wrong. He, he he's wide of the post and kind of targets it home. Basically, much more difficult chance than the the one he misses later on. <laughs> yeah, search his football. Uh, but United completely on top at this stage in Fergie's farewell game. You're thinking route, send Fergie off into retirement happy because he's not happy later in the game. Let me tell you, 1,500 games, he's not accepting this. I wonder if he gave him the hairdryer in the uh, dressing room afterwards, or whether he was just like, oh, what's the point? Uh, I think he, I think that's what everyone said. He just laughed, basically. He's like, well, suppose I've never been involved in a five-all kind of thing. Um, the uh, the crowd starts singing Fergie Gives the Wave, obviously, but then they start singing Albert Give Us the Wave, because it was also Albert Morgan, the Kitman's retirement game, which... Uh, we plug this every bloody week, but nice interview with him in the uh, the official podcast this week. Uh, nice, yeah, very nice. Except for the story about how Yapstam and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer got him in a sheet like a duvet cover and, and locked him in a him. yeah locked him in a bed chest for an hour. 
He he literally said, I did think at one point I might die in it. <laughs> I do think in order to be a professional football, you have to definitely enjoy the suffering of others more than I do. Because yes, all it, it the stories about Albert the Kitman was uh, on the end of many of these jokes. Yeah. Fantastic jokes. story. I, mean, I do. I do encourage. Yeah, jokes. Yeah. Um, also known as crime, if, <laughs> yeah. uh, if if conducted in other circumstances. Yeah. Um, so a lovely story about. Uh, and you should. I'm not going to tell it well. So go listen uh, about what happened at Sunderland uh, with the plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Steve geez. Bruce. Steve Bruce coming in with the big brush is the highlight of that story for sure. If you want more from the show in between shows, check us out on the socials. We are NQAT Pod on Instagram, Ed's at NQAT Pod on Twitter, and we are under our real names on Facebook at No Question About That. Um, so uh, someone feeds Hernandez, who flicks it to cleverly for the third goal. It's a perfectly weighted, gentle little side foot through ball from cleverly into Alex Nice, Peters. yep. Path and a great finish. Bootner and cleverly, very difficult to tell. Who's who from a distance? Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, they both had the haircut, don't they? <laughs> so yeah, um, Butner puts the the hammer down. He could really strike a ball, couldn't he? And it's uh, as sweet yeah. as anything into the corner. And uh, Butner won. Gerard nil. Chance ring out around the ground. Sweet. <laughs> Still funny. Um, and there's quite a few players of which that is true as well. Now, tell me, how does a Alex Ferguson team? be 3-0 up in half an hour and not win a game? Well, by defending like they did for West Brom's first goal, somehow um, Dorans is on the ball on the right flank and he's one-on-one with Johnny Evans, but he has a man overlapping. So Evans has is basically caught in a two-on-one. There's a dart, little quickly darted in cross and James Morrison has easily enough space to fight home. I mean, it's a good cross and a good finish, but it's much, much, much too easy. Um, and we did have serious defensive problems that season. But some defensive talent too. There's an absolutely amazing tackle from Johnny Evans a couple of minutes later when Phil Jones gets absolutely murked um, by a West Brom <laughs> player. Um, yeah, no, last-ditch tackle, beautifully timed. Yeah. And then... So, oh. yeah, no, look, he's, a good, he's a good player. Good player, Johnny Evans. Then he's become better since mainly since you stopped praising him every week. I, I don't know whether there's a... Cor- well, there's definitely a correlation between these two things. Causation? Well, you know, maybe. Oh, maybe so. Um, well, I certainly a player that I wanted to be able to praise every week, but was often not able to. Uh, Romelu Lukaku. It's a good finish. Well, it's a... It's it's a back pass. Yeah, he gets the ball on target to the well. <laughs> yeah. Lindergaard. I mean, this is... This is schoolboy bad from Lindergaard. Yeah, so j- just after half time, Lukaku's come on. I guess he's a, is he a permanent West Brom player at this point, or he's on loan? He was always on loan. Wasn't yeah, he? I don't think he was ever a permanent West Brom yeah. player. Yeah, Maybe and it's on his swinger know. as well. It's his right foot, and he doesn't hit it. He hits it cleanly, but not particularly powerfully. And there's no way Lindergaard should let this go through his uh, his dive at all. But he does. And he gets a hand to it. And, you know, they sometimes say, like, it makes it look worse if a goalkeeper gets a hand to it and you can sometimes give him unfair criticism. I do not believe this to be one of those occasions. To me, this looked 
Just got to have a stronger, weak wristed, weak yeah. wristed. Just yeah, really bad. Um, but so what's that at this stage? I've lost count. Three, three, two. two. Which, which again, in the kind of Mandela effect thing that has this whole game club has been. None of these games are like I remembered them. If you told me, I would have said maybe United were like four nil up at half time, and uh, and it got back to five all. Um, but no, we were three two just after half. By the way, we, we we didn't even talk about Chicharito's two fantastic chances in the first half. He has another one in the second half. I mean, he scores in the second half. Has another one. He he could have had six goals in this game. Yeah, but, and but two two great. He should have scored both of them in the first half, and that would have been five nil at half time. Which you imagine would have done it. Well, you imagine it, but I'm not sure if Anders Lindegaard's going to let them in. Anything's possible, really. Um, Anderson then drives forward from midfield, finds Chicharito, rolls it out to the right flank. Valencia passes in a low cross and just luxuriate in the moment for a minute as Robin Van Persie <laughs> lets the ball go across him and blasts it into the roof of the net with his right foot. It's, with, his, with, with the swinger, yeah. With his left foot, sorry. It's... Was it? Yeah, no, he lets it go across he, him. He oh, doesn't swing it with his yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. He, he, he uses his left foot. And it's, I mean, it's a thing of absolute beauty. Robin Van Persie, what, such a brilliant all-round forward, but also a phenomenally good, just straight-up striker. Yes, he had a, I don't know whether you saw the post-match interview with him, rather rueful smile on his face. Of course, that would turn to sickening anger as he realised he'd have to play under David Moyes. Oh, God, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. Uh, that's like, I did this thing of like, all oh, United's you know, post-Alex Ferguson managers as different stages of grief. And like, David Moyes is like just shock and disbelief. You you can't register it. You make such, can't believe this is really happening. And I still, all these years later just this violent anger when they started singing the David Moyes song. It's like, who who thought this was a good idea? Anyway. Fergie, who we've been yeah. lionising yeah. for <laughs> yeah. a good half hour of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a really like lovely passing move for United's four fifth. Fifth. Fifth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah with a no-look pass from Kagawa to, to, to down the left. Yeah, so I think Kaga was off by this point. Is he off? Uh, by this yeah, point? I oh, think maybe that, that I was think... for one of the yeah, maybe that was for Van Persie's goal. Yeah, that's right. This, this has got um, Giggs is on by this point, and uh, he's like very involved in this move. He's kind of silkily weaves his way passing and moving so he's got the ball on the left wing. Carrick's excellent in in the move as well. Giggs clips in across uh, Olsen before Hernandez gets the ball. Olsen just, I mean. It's just it's just a terrible, truly terrible miss of the ball. And uh and Hernandez gambles and taps home and United are five two up and cruising. So we think Olsen's directly responsible for two goals, scores an own goal, and at the other end misses from what, a yard out with a fully open goal. <laughs> I mean that is that has got to be genuinely one of the single worst performances of all time. Two two assists essentially and one own goal. Two own assists and one own goal, and missing. Maybe it's a match fixing situation. I mean, it's not, of course. I'm uh, just saying that for humour. Um, talking of match fixing, Fergie decides to bring Paul Scholes on, and it doesn't go well. It was uh, it was 
It was very nice, and he's given a lovely ovation by, I mean, of course, a rapturous response by the United faithful, but a, a very nice, polite round of applause from the West Brom fans. Yes. What, 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 what was the book on when he'd get the yellow card? Well, he should have got it within 30 seconds of coming on because his first tackle is an outrage. And he definitely did it on purpose both times. And the commentators are typical skulls. And the biggest lie the devil ever told was convincing people he didn't exist, right? This is Paul Skulls is pretending he wasn't good at tackling so he could extract violence is a 20 year performance <laughs> art piece. Whereas Nicky Bart was very honest about his desire to <laughs> inflict violence on his opponents. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's been another hallmark of uh, these nostalgic pods, just how, how many people Nicky Bart loved to kick. He really did. And, and so, so did Skulls. I mean, Skulls looks exhausted and miles off the pace. Um, and there's also a moment where Hernandez had another really good chance and probably could have made it six at that point. But instead, because Skulls is there, he tries to lay it off to Skulls um, and uh, he doesn't, which is a shame because every, like everyone, including most of the West Brom players, probably wanted Skulls to score at that point. Butner hits the bar with a cross. Valencia has a shot on the rebound, which Butner has to stop there going out so for throw-in. There are so many chances. I mean, I could have scored 10 in this game. They're yeah. Great chance. It was just so open. Yeah. So it is a rid- it's a hilariously ridiculous game of football, but it becomes like a testimonial once Skulls comes on and uh, it costs United uh, dearly. The focus completely goes. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. 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 It's just sort of old men strolling about the gaff, really, isn't it? Um. <laughs> Yes, yes. Old men who'd perhaps had a season too long. <laughs> so uh, a couple of them have an extra season on top of this. But, yeah. <laughs> we don't begrudge them, though. Cause... No, no. And it's just weird last 10 minutes, isn't it? Malumbu scores. Can't quite remember which goal that was. Now. So Lukaku, Lukaku scores next. The camera doesn't show how the ball gets back to the Albion after a, a clearance from Lindegaard, but the commentator on the thing I watched, said the sun got into Bootner's eyes and he loses the ball really, um, really easily. It gets slipped into Lukaku. Not, that is actually a nice finish, sort of side slotted finish. Um, and then the second, the, the fourth West Brom goal is literally seconds after the kickoff. Absolutely shocking lack of organisation in midfield and defence. Um, yes, they'd all switched off by that time. Uh, was Ferdinand on? Ferdinand was no. on for the fifth goal and he was at fault for the fifth goal. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, in that little viral clip of the, the reunion match where Fergie's having a go at Rio for Lukaku scoring a hat-trick, because of that, my memory of it was that Rio had played the game or come on at halftime and was there for like all three goals. Very harsh to blame Rio for Lukaku's entire hat-trick when Anders Lindegaard like chucked one into his own net. <laughs> yeah, he's only on for five minutes, Rio, but he yeah. still managed to make a rick in that five minutes. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, and and so there's a, a nice ball into the back stick from the West Brom left back, I think. Fires it into the right back stick. Malumbu sort of bobbles it back in and Lukaku shoots. It bounces off Rio. And then Lukaku kind of like, he actually does quite well to fall on it and head it in. Um, from like from about half a yard out, half a yard out, yeah, yeah, yeah. a thousand xg on that one. Yeah, Jonas Olsen would still have missed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, he, uh, he, I think he might have retired. I don't know. He had, uh, he had six games for Wigan in the championship last season. Oh, okay. I thought you meant he might have retired at half time in this game or <laughs> full time in this game. He should have done. Yeah. But, um, but someone did. And, uh, I mean, I, I remember at the time being a bit dazed, but at the end of like, I think, I think probably with everything going on in the world and it being so unspeakably terrible at the moment, um, kind of being in the bubble of nostalgia has been quite enjoyable, but there's something about Fergie saying goodbye at the end of this game, which pierced the bubble of nostalgia and brought reality into sharp focus. And it got me, I was, uh, I was very, very, very sad watching him say goodbye. Um, so he, all the players go over to clap as they would in any away game, but, you know, extra at the last away game of the season. And then Fergie's kind of in front of them and he and they're, they're not far over the halfway line and he turns to go back and they just all stand there, Rio and Ryan Giggs and a few others, just make a kind of guard that Fergie can't turn around and they're all pointing at the fans and they kind of make Fergie go and, and take a bow <clears throat> and he does and it was uh yeah it was emotional <laughs> not a dry eye in the house <laughs> nope yeah no 1500 games I mean yes you want to go say goodbye and you can't begrudge him retiring no of course you can not begrudge him appointing anointing <laughs> David Moyes yeah in the face of an absolutely oh god it's just one of the worst summers ever United won the league it should be a great summer yeah but it it it, it went from professional organized some sense of what you're trying to achieve you know even if there are some ringers on the pitch um there's a there's a sense of it to there not being any sense at all either in the dressing room management because you know none of the players knew where they were or what they was happening next management or most importantly upstairs you know yeah. it's just yeah title winner to absolute collapse of the empire almost overnight absolutely and loads of talk like oh are we going to do a liverpool is it all going to fall apart is it going to be like after busby left no 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 Surely no, football's I changed like, so much. I was like, as you'll remember and... at the time, I was like, no way, you know, I'd have way too much money to screw this up. Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, we can, we can, yes. No, much more like Bruce's millions, yeah. <laughs> <We're> just... <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was hard to watch Fergie say goodbye. And like you say, you can't begrudge him his retirement. One of the United fans had a sign in the crowd that just said, thank you, doesn't, it doesn't even seem to be nearly enough. And, and obviously like, for all United fans who, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty who are now, who love football, who are much too young really to have a meaningful relationship with Fergie's United. But for anyone over the age of, you know, 13, 14, um, his, well, I guess let's say anyone over the age of 20 <laughs> at this point, because they'd have only been 13 when he retired. So their memories of him would be very sort of child, childhood memories. Um but for any older United fans, he's he was he means so much to all of us. But when you, I mean, there is definitely a kind of, and I speak as not one of these people, but there is a huge textural difference to what United have given to your life if you've been to every away game for twenty five years or whatever. At that point, I mean, it's such a massive part of your existence if you do that. For those people, like. 
I mean, Fergie was... No wonder there was frustration when he would be criticised and things like that because the amount of good times he gave to those people were... Sure, yeah, yeah. And, And... Maybe his banker credit was always so big that he shouldn't ever have been criticised. Maybe, but he made lots of mistakes along the way. And yeah, 1,500 games, how can you not make mistakes? And and uh, mistakes in terms of playing, tactics, choices for specific games, the, the players he brought in, his support of the new owners... You know, just gone past 15 years of the Glazers and he yeah. was instrumental both in the build-up to the new ownership, as we know, with, you know, the fight with Coolmore over the the horse spunk. Um, And then deciding afterwards that um, he was going to support the new owners, even though, you know, the the Red Knights, as they were called, various various supporter, richer supporters who who kind of sort of clumped together, um, had asked him to consider stepping down. So... um, you know, there's there's many reasons to to feel like some um, some level of criticism uh, towards Ferguson and some resentment that he didn't use his platform, which is massive. And I, th- I think it's right to say that if he'd said, "No way, I'm stepping down," if these you know these sharks come in, uh, probably would have led to the collapse of the takeover, but he decided not to, and and he he said it was about um, the support of his backroom team. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But um, in terms of the pure management piece, just he's unsurpassed. He'll never be surpassed. Uh, I I watched the MUTV coverage, um, which is great in these for these nostalgic games because it's just so magnificently one-eyed. It's, <laughs> it's like sitting there and watching with some some of your mates, except I'd be screaming and shouting at the TV and moaning, and they never do. Well, Paddy does a little bit. <laughs> so, um, um, so and, you know, any any like they they mentioned in commentary that it was his. 49th trophy in 39 seasons as a manager, all the way back to his, you know, because he started management really young, yeah, actually, because, yeah. you know, he had to retire. Uh, just, wow, yes. that's insane. No, it's, it is. It's absolutely staggering. And, you know, I, I and mean, I think the reason why he's peerless, because there are other people that have had kind of greater um probably like better teams. Well, I would say definitely better teams than maybe for best teams are not necessarily the, the best two teams of all time, are they? Um, and like periods of exceptional stuff or, um, or have made a kind of long lasting difference to the way football's been played, like a, a Rinus Mikels or a Cruyff even. Um, but no one has ever done the thing of building multiple dynasties over multiple eras ever, ever. There's no, never, it never happened. I mean, so you've got like Shankly, who, what what Shankly did at Liverpool was absolutely extraordinary. There's no no question about that. He took them from second division no-hopers to the dominant force in uh, English and kind of getting ready to be European football. But it wasn't over anything like the same length of time, the same amount of adaptation needed, the same, you know... Fergie's in a he's in a class of his own. And you know what he said about criticism? I think you're absolutely right. And and we criticized him a lot. But I think the thing that we probably did wrong was not praise him enough. There's probably 
not that we criticised him too much, it was that we didn't praise him enough for the things he did right. That was, that was too taken for granted. Oh, for sure it's taken for granted, yeah. Of course it was, because, because like, even those of us, you know, we're in our 40s, old enough to remember the bad times, you get so used to it. You get institutionalised to the success and then expect that, and that's the new bar. So yeah, yeah, um, of of course, uh, and there are many people who didn't do that, and and for them, um, any criticism of Fergie was was verboten. It was how could you? Yeah, yeah, which which I I I think I think the counter should always have been just he just you can't give him enough praise. You you can't. He's he is one of a kind, and his capacity to win. This is that team. That team. I mean, they blew it at the end or whatever. But that very average team with an absolutely rubbish goalkeeper at the end of a season when they'd already won the league, when they were all, you know, they'd all been celebrating for two weeks. They were all in emotional turmoil because Ferguson was leaving and David Moyes was coming, and the future was super uncertain. And for most of that game, they still looked like a bunch of winners ready to win. Who? <laughs> um, they just it slightly slipped at the last ten minutes as the David Moyes era began. 10 minutes ahead of schedule, really. Well, that's right. They probably saw him coming in, you know. Was, was he there? Ghost of Christmas future. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there'll never be another one like Fergie. And, no. um, you know, it, it may well be some time before United are back on top. I, who knows how much of Fergie's spirit Ollie can can channel. We, we, we don't know. I mean, we've seen quite a lot of Ollie. Some good quite a lot bad we don't know if he can build a team let alone multiple teams we don't know if he you know can can run a club because he's still basically being asked to do that united did not modernize and we'll come on to this in the in the bonus content still essentially the same structure as when fergie retired yeah or in fact when fergie got the job in 1986 now of course you know a much better training ground analytics much larger coaching staff way more money but that just means you can blow more money which united have done very successfully in the post fergie era so yeah it's um it's amazing it, it, i mean actually it's it's amazing two things it's amazing that one man could effectively um, run a club of the size of United and of course he was almost de facto like uh, inspirational pre-match speaker plus you know microman manager plus director of football and let his coaches do the coaching um, so it's, it's you know it's amazing one man could do that it's I don't think we'll it's amazing that United still feel that they can they can find another Fergie out there because that's what we're seeking. Um, but you'll never across any of the big clubs ever again get another manager like that. You'll get great managers, of course you will. But it'll never be in that structure with one man having so much power and being able to wield it in with you know to such effect. Yeah, exactly. Because you know power corrupts, right? And and we see this in all kinds of leadership. Never mind football, how many really, really good leaders in any industry or any walk of life are there who've been doing it for 30 years? It's very rare that that you could be that able to evolve and grow and change as you needed to with the times over that period of time. I mean, he's really, 
quite quite an exceptional human being um and and it, like leader he's quite an exceptional leader in in any field so yeah fergie good turns out yeah yeah he was can i talk about a game from uh, 1989 when he no <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, I, I was left feeling very grateful for having experienced Fergie's Man United from start to finish. Basically, that was that was, and it's been nice to do that in kind of capsule form. I mean, we watched. Well, we we watched one of his first games. Yeah, four, four, fourth and fifth game. Yeah. The Spurs three all. Yeah, um, and uh, we of course we watched one uh, Samat game. We watched one Louis Van Gaal game. We didn't watch a Big Ron game in the end. Um, because we uh, we could, oh we watched a day no Tommy Doherty the we 1977 77 Cup final um yeah. and uh it, but but an awful lot of Fergie as you would imagine and uh, I've thoroughly no Mourinho funnily enough no no and we never ever will um <laughs> uh, the the I've really enjoyed doing this I've really enjoyed it it's um I feel like I've learnt. From doing it, I think it's been a, a good sort of reflection as somebody that tries to analyse football and talk about football. This has been a, it's been quite educational doing this in this way and rethinking some stuff and getting some some extra context for some of the stuff we talk about now. Yeah, I hope we don't have to do this again. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, we don't have to do it again. We chose no, we to, do to do it, do it. didn't we? we? Don't have to do it again. Um, yeah. So project restart. Yeah, restart. Soon, nineteenth of June is United's first game. Twelve away days. At Spurs on Friday night. Yeah, probably eleven days as you're as you're listening to this. Less than two weeks away. Um, yeah. Last... So next week we're going to do a sort of best eleven, as Paul said earlier, of uh, of all the players we've seen in this uh, sort of nostalgia pod series, and then after that, so a week from today, we'll do a preview of the restart of the season. Mad, uh, yeah, season preview in June. Um, the LASK was United's last game. That feels like a thousand years ago. I, I remember that felt a thousand years ago. Two weeks later, someone said it was only two weeks ago. You know that, and it just felt yeah unbelievable. I mean, it's so well, com- of course uh, Odion Agallo signed up till uh, January now. He yep. scored that fantastic goal in that game, and um, it'd be a bit interesting whether he leaves in January. I guess he. I guess he will. Yeah. Um. um so we'll see him. Most of the rules around the restart have been set. There will be five substitutes. Yeah. Uh, they haven't decided on how big the squads are and they haven't decided what happens if it has to stop again. Yeah, and that's and that I would imagine you would have to consider is a very reasonable possibility given what's happening in this country at the moment. Exactly, given the the very high rate of infections we still have and the uh, rush to open again. Um the uh you you told me that the that united had played a game a practice match uh for all yeah that, i haven't seen any video of it i don't think any's been released but there were a few shots and for all uh pogba scored it's it's team a versus team b i i haven't actually seen all the teams there were just a few bits and pieces coming out about it pogba scored one assisted two and rashford got a hat trick for team a so exciting uh, Bruno got two and two assists for Team B. Honestly, if this was an actual season preview, I would 100% be losing the run of myself right now. 
Oh, we may well do in a week's time. We're probably yeah. not going to win the league. It seems it seems unlikely. It, mathematically, is it possible? Oh, it's a great question, actually. Yeah, no, it might literally not be possible, even if everyone above us lost every game. How many games are left? Do you know? Nine. Nine. I can... Nine. A couple of teams. So City, Arsenal, Sheffield United and someone else. Aston Villa? Yeah, they've got ten, got right? ten games yeah. left. Yeah, everyone else has nine. So we've got... Four and a half, five weeks of football of two games a week, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be very busy and uh, they're, they're staggering all the kickoffs. They're trying to give something back to the broadcasters. BBC will have some games. Amazon yeah. will have some games. Sky and BT, the rest. BBC um, got some cricket as well because um, the test match is starting. Well, in theory, the test match is starting on the 8th of July. I mean, you know, we talk about Project Restart in the football. Like cricket, you've got to fly people in from another country and that. Uh, if I was a West Indian cricketer, I would be thinking, you want me to go to that country? <laughs> no, thank you, sir. But uh, a lot of them are coming. So. Anyway. Yeah. So, anyway. So, yeah, that's thanks. the future. Thanks the near everyone. future. But, thanks. Yeah. thanks for everyone who's enjoyed Game Club. And we've had, like, I mean, obviously, like, every podcast. No one, no one's listening to podcasts anymore. <laughs> Everybody, half the world of, uh, that did used to listen have stopped. But that's that's fine. We, we knew that would be a thing. And... The one thing that's been extremely nice is just people have really kind of shared an appreciation for the fact that we were doing this. Well, it's certainly not been a, a big sacrifice to do it. It's been been a real pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening and watching along. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it too. And it's going to be great to, however weird football is, it's going to be kind of nice to be talking about some contemporary football and, and getting back to some sort of normality on the show, at least, if not in real life. Yeah, it, it will be. Yeah, it's going to be weird watching four games a day or whatever it is at the weekends, but uh, and one every night. I did, there's hardly any breaks. You know, the teams who are out of the FA Cup uh, will get a weekend off, but uh, United won't. So yeah, it's going to be weird but fun. We're going to ride it out, and uh, we'll, so we'll see you. Uh, at Patreon backers, stay tuned. We're going to talk about. Oh. Sorry, I know you might not want to stay tuned for this, but we're going to talk about everything United have done wrong since Fergie left. <laughs> um, uh, but everyone else will be back on Thursday um, with our best 11s of the Game Club era. Um, so we'll see you then. Bye now. So United have made a lot of mistakes since Alex Ferguson retired, and we're going to do this in two parts. We're going to we're going to kind of do you're the boss scenario. So we're in charge at, in May 2013. What happens next? Um, yeah. Fergie's leaving. Gill's leaving. Those are those are the the, the yeah sort of sliding doors moment. Yeah, exactly. What would what, what we could have, have been? And then we're going to do our top five mistakes that United have made since. I think I've I've got a list of five. Have you got Have you got a list there, Ed? I've got a list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Non-definitive. We just did this in the. 10 minutes between recording the main show and starting talking about this. So um, I, the, the one of the things that is the most obvious, but it, and then it's been talked about to death. We've talked about it every week for seven years. Um, so probably doesn't need a massive amount of discussion, but it is the thing. Of course, you do not put Ed Woodward in charge of anything other than, commercial deals yeah well i mean look i actually he could well have been a perfectly decent ceo absolutely the the, the problem is a ceo needs to take a step up 
and oversee everything, right? And delegate out to the things he's not expert. You don't expect Bob Eigner at Disney to get behind a camera and start filming the next Iron Man. Or, or even like, um, I don't know, cast the next Iron Man. Do you know what I mean? Like, because it's, he, it's the, really the problem is, you don't expect Bob Eichner to be a line producer. You don't expect Bob Eichner to be like, okay, I know how much, what the best lights to get are and where, where to source them and those kind of things. The real, like Woodward's incomplete inexperience in the transfer market meant that he spent most of the last seven years being taken for an absolute mug by yeah. better run clubs. And and swinging from one pole to another. So, um, and I, I suspect we'll get into into some of this, but, you know, this is the sliding doors moment, right? That, that first summer was a cataclysmic disaster of chasing players all over the place. And quite clearly, Woodward, who was in charge of recruitment, he said since he claims he's not the person who who makes the decisions, just the one signing the checks. Um, but it quite clearly was in charge there. Um, oversaw United chasing players from all over Europe. You know, Fabregas and um, Herrera at one stage and and dozens and dozens of players United were putting bids in for, which we know now because it's all come out. Um, and eventually signing Maran Fellaini for... Um, Two and a half million pounds four. more than his <laughs> four, million. four million. Four million. Twenty-three million pound fee. Twenty-seven million pounds. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that that first uh the 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 cataclysmic mistake of appointing Moyes, who we lambasted for the last hour on the main pod, but you know, why stop there? This just awful mistake of doing that. Um, and of appointing a completely inexperienced CEO who just took on a whole new portfolio of stuff, you know, he was the, the commercial guy before that, um, uh, was then like these two things were thrown together like two chemical compounds to make a, you know, a sinkhole of corrosive shit <laughs> flowing through Old Trafford. The Sunderland dressing room all over again. This is, um, I mean... David Gill was still there when the decision to appoint Moyes was made. I mean, he was going to leave, and it, it, we knew he was going to leave. He knew he, he was going to leave. Basically, at the same time as Fergie. Yeah, because the the conversation was Fergie talked to David Gill, and David Gill went, "Oh, because I'm leaving too." Um, and that, I mean, one of the things is there's a little bit of bad misfortune in that because. It's very difficult to handle the transition with both of those people leaving. We talked about sure. how much power Fergie had, but David Gill was a very influential and important person in doing those deals behind S- the scenes. Hands, although that is a ironic name, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 for, for sure. And in fact, you know, the the Glazers has as longtime sports franchise owners might have seen that coming. You know, the loser and experienced CEO, and even though their man was now getting the job alongside this new coach might have seen that if you, like, in NFL terms, if you lose your general manager and your head coach and they're both hugely successful, mm. it's probably not a good recipe, is it? So No. Um, they didn't see it coming. They should have seen it coming. In hindsight, it's obvious that this was going to cause a massive problem. I think alongside the 
the the mistakes made with the appointment and the fact that there was no transition plan, despite having like nearly six months in David Gill's case and, you know, whatever time Fergie gave them, not nearly as much, uh, there was no transition plan, basically, other than appoint someone cut from the same cloth. Um, they also didn't restructure the club at all. It was all based around like like recruitment. Why it was so horrible that first summer? Recruitment was all based around Fergie's preferred agents and his his own personal network, which is all just left. And this is this is a huge thing too. Which actually, I'm going to slightly break the structural rules that we set for ourselves two minutes ago, um, and say that the number two on my list of worst mistakes that United have made since. Um, Fergie left was they let all the backroom staff go with Fergie and somebody should have insisted you can bring in your own guys but you can't get rid of this whole team and yeah that, well that was Moyes's decision yeah, yeah I mean yeah so in in I mean he paid for it but so did the club because all of that knowledge all of the people who might have challenged Moyes and said no 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 this isn't going to go down well with this dressing room or that's not the way we do things at this club there was no one there at all to say no and you know Moyes once he'd got the job he had to be able to make changes and and you know kind of set a tone for how things were done but how desperately did he need to learn from people with big club experiences I'm not talking about Phil Neville who hadn't been at United for the last I don't know what five six seven years a long time it had been since Neville had left um, so yeah, it was, but the, the appointment of David Moyes, I mean, it left such a sour taste at the time because this example, we always talk, I always talk about this Everton versus Arsenal on the last day of the season. I think this, the season before, I think the 11, 12 season, um, they had needed, they went to Highbury at Emirates. They needed to win. And they played the most depressing defensive football I've ever seen. I just remember thinking, people are saying he's a potential candidate for the United job. He has nothing of the, just the courage and spirit. Like, he was not clucked from anything like the same cloth as Fergie. They're so different. Completely different. Completely different, yeah. They just both happen to be Scottish. That's it. It was- so, I mean, of course, United could have made a very different decision there. Ferguson could have pursued his his initial instinct to get Pep Guardiola. He had that famously, that dinner with Guardiola in New York. Uh, but at, by that time, Guardiola had apparently committed to Bayern. I don't know how much Fergie could have pushed it. I don't know. I mean, you had Jurgen Klopp over at Borussia Dortmund at the time. I mean, that that was the one I wanted. Right in the middle of being hyper-successful with Borussia. And and cut from the same cloth as Fergie. Like, that's that's out of out the three of them. Uh, well, four if you include Moyes, because we're going to talk about Mourinho, obviously. But the one that is by far... I mean, I know this is an anathema. Everyone hates him because he's Liverpool manager, whatever. But the one that by far meets the criteria of being... I'm not saying he's him, but he's closest, is Klopp. Personality, approach, just just general being. Guardiola's kind of too restrictive to be Fergie. Yes, Mourinho's an idiot, you know, he's an egomaniacal idiot in the wrong ways. Um, and Moyes is 
just useless. Um, but I did. Yeah, I w- and and they did they did stand out Klopp a couple of years later, mm. uh, which yeah. you know, and, and and that famous quote that he thought it was something like what did what did he say something like uh, running Disneyland, you know, it right. wasn't a serious <laughs> football club. Yeah. Um, Yes, uh, like even even Mourinho would have been a better appointment. 100%. So even if you take it into taken into account that he burns everything to the ground, it would have given some level of two years of stability in the transition for sure. Of course, he had walked into that dressing room, you know, and could have said, "I've won the European Cup. Respect me." If you couldn't have got Klopp, and you couldn't have somehow identified whoever the next big thing, I guess like a Pochettino type character, someone who was completely under the radar at that time, but had magic in him. But I don't I don't think that was really an appropriate time to do that. Um and you weren't gonna make some insane gamble and give it to Ryan Giggs or whatever. Um Mourinho was the only logical choice, I think, because because the scale of his ego would actually have been useful at that point. And he'd been clearly angling for the job for such a long time I remember somebody saying about this, two things about this. One is there's this thing about how United players all went to the Chester races the day that it was announced um, that Fergie was retiring and all the talk among the players was it's got to be Mourinho, right? It has to be. And they were kind of looking forward to that. Um, And then somebody, I don't know who it was, I can never remember where this came from, but they talked about Mourinho walking out on the first day of the new season, looking at the big Sir Alex Ferguson stand signed directly opposite him and kind of like bowing to it or saluting it or, you know, giving some kind of like avert gesture of humility that everyone would have known he didn't really mean because he was there now. But actually, that kind of forest fire would have been quite useful to burn it to the ground at that point. It kind kind of maybe needed burning to the ground then so it could regrow. You know, um, but yeah, I, I would have mm. uh, Klopp, Moyes, Gua, um, Klopp, Mourinho, Guardiola, and then thousands points lower. Loads of people I've never heard of. You, like <laughs> lots of people, <laughs> then David Moyes. Yeah, and and look alongside the awful appointment and the the failure to restructure at the executive level, the failure to 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 modernise the coaching side of things. David Moyes came in and complained about this, you know, didn't have analytics, didn't have... Um, he he wanted his... Uh, I mean, this is more about transfers, but he wanted his iPads and his Finch Farm sort of, like, analysis, which actually was analysis paralysis in, in Moyes' case because he wanted, you know, millions of reports on each of the players, but didn't modernise any of that. He's done lots of work since, and especially in the last three years still haven't appointed the person to oversee that who is a director of football or a sporting director or whatever you want to call them, the person who looks after the transition of the squad has a plan for every single player years out, you know, which is the thing that um, Liverpool have so expertly executed. You know, I hate to talk about them in nice terms, but it's the reason why they're 25 points there ahead in the, the Premier League, you know, the right choice of manager and the right structural um, uh, structures in place at the club to succeed, you know. And United didn't do that, didn't, didn't. And for all the sort of PR that the Glazers are experienced owners of a sporting institution and know how to handle it, they didn't. 
and they haven't. No, not e- not even slightly. But they you know, that PR was obviously PR because they've been the Bucks have been useless for however long it has been. Right? This is the they're not a good fr- they're not a well run franchise that the fans are super behind and love and think that the you know that the owners really know what they're doing. I'm sure lots of Bucks owners would gladly take a different different ownership model. Yeah. And a lot, and a lot of the the our list of what's gone wrong after that initial period, because that was that was when the the iceberg hit below the waterline, right? And and the ship's been listing, but a lot of the decisions just made it worse. Yeah, you know. But that was those were the key ones. Yeah, the manager, the structure, the failure to say, hey, this is an opportunity to to change this manager's role because every other club in Europe has done that. Then after that, you get all the the mistakes. So the fact that United couldn't sign a decent player that summer, the fact that they've chased shiny players ever since and have given out huge contracts to players clearly on the downturn um, or haven't deserved them, that have like stacked up problems now. They really have. You look at United's books. It's all related to that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's, uh, let's go through our top fives. My number five, um, on this list, there's not necessarily an order. There's a slight comedic edge to the order that I've put these in. Um, but my number five is uh, just Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia being fullbacks throughout this whole time. Now they're they're kind of very highly maligned and criticised players, but I think they are absolutely symptomatic of two things. One, they are they are beneficiaries, like Smalling and Jones were for a long time, of managers changing and kind of deciding to give players a fresh chance over and over again. That wouldn't have happened. If they'd been a stable manager for that time, there's no way they both would have been there for as long as they were. But the second thing about it is this failure to modernise, because what is the biggest change in football in the last 10 years in terms of like roles and importance of roles in every team in the world that's been good? It's been fullbacks. Fullbacks have... The idea of a fullback has completely transformed in the last 10 years, and United have been stuck with two aging rubbish wingers for most of that (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah look it's uh it's a symptom not the cause uh, of course but yes you know a very big flashing red light that something has gone terribly wrong at the club when those two had five and six years post fergie it's extraordinary at at fullback where which is so important like that's that's why it's so high up on my list it's not just because you could, because I haven't got Jones and Smalling on the list, which I, you could have, but that's almost less important than the failure to. It's less emblematic of the failure to modernise and and just being left behind by football than than the fact that fullback was yeah. a, a weak spot. So um, I want to talk about managers. We like I think it's obvious to go this manager or that manager, and we obviously just talked about how terrible <laughs> David Moyes' appointment was. So we could go through them all, but I, just, I think the. It's a symbol of the club having no clue what it wants. They've swung from managerial style to managerial style. None of them have been the same, you know? So just just like, what does this club stand for? Uh, it's, it's great having in the marketing whatever the United way is and something about history or, or whatever. Um, but Moyes was 20 years in the past. Lou Van Gaal was 15 years since he was good. Basically, well, <laughs> so this kind of hyper control of the ball and possession and and all of that. Mourinho, the 
complete antithesis of that doesn't want possession you know thinks thinks all that discussion is ridiculous and ollie who's basically only got the job because no one else would take it uh, <laughs> and did well for nine games or whatever it was and so i mean i just think it's like of course clubs always make managerial um bricks all the time you know, and they don't all work out, but the better clubs have a sense of what they want. Either they have such a structure around the transition, so the very strong sporting director, and they just plug a coach in, which Madrid tend to do. They've now got a problem now because they're the coach they plugged in has been too successful. He's <laughs> one of the most um, famous people in the history of football as well. Yeah, so that's causing some tension, as you can imagine. Um, or, or you have a, you know, or you, or you, or you have such a sense of what you want and how you want to achieve it that the fit is obvious with the manager, and, and you know, just haven't done that. And for me, like the 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 absolute nadir of managerial decisions. I mean, the Moyes one is ridiculous. That's the worst. That's the single worst one because he's replacing Fergie. But the worst one out of the post Moyes was definitely the appointment of Jose Mourinho, who was, I mean. I kind of allowed myself to believe that um, coming to United would reinvigorate him. But actually, he did at United exactly what he had done at Madrid, since he left Inter, since Madrid broke his heart. He destroyed that Chelsea. I mean, really, if you have a forensic look at what he did in his time at Chelsea, there is no way. He shouldn't be, shouldn't be allowed to be in a job where he's in charge of people, let alone a, a job let alone a suitable candidate for a club with with the uh, uh, with an alleged ethos around attacking football and youth football because he's so toxic so destructive I mean, the, the dr canero stuff was is disgusting it's disgusting what he did but so was his treatment of individual players and the last thing that the crop of players that united had at that time needed was Mourinho I and mean, even like the signing of Paul Pogba just giving Pogba to a manager that was destined to hate him you know <laughs> yes just... I know um just doesn't feel like a very good fit no does it no yeah no like, it was it was it was it was awful I mean you know I made the argument for why he would have been a better choice uh, in the post Fergie era because that ego would have given United some breathing room. Yeah. You still have to make all the other decisions that we've talked about to, A- absolutely. to get the club going in the right direction. And, of course, the fact that United don't have a sporting director, Mourinho wanted one. Like, the talk that he didn't want one was always nonsense. He wanted one. He understood. You know, he wants the right ingredients. Also wanted to, you know, have drive a wedge between him and um, Ed Woodward. Uh, so he could have someone else to to work with, but uh, yeah, to to do it three three years later, um, and know what you were getting, and expect that to, you know, suddenly miraculously put you on the the right path, it just doesn't make any sense. It's bonkers. It's bonkers, and it's just such a symptom of the people who are in charge. Who, of course, they're not in charge. You know, they're only doing their little bit of the world. <laughs> but yeah. So, Ken, anyway. Ken Early said it's a decision that you would only make if you don't know anything about football. He once he said that. Oh, you hate yourself. He said that to Gary Neville. Gary Neville was furious that that was the allegation. Why you, you boy Jose Mourinho don't know anything about football? It's like no, that's the appointment that someone who doesn't know anything about football but just thinks they do would make. All right, so that that that's on my list it was was Jose. But you're right, the swinging of managers is is clearly clearly actually the biggest problems. 
I mean, because we the director of football isn't on these lists because that's the single biggest problem, and the swinging of managers is probably the second biggest. The the next thing I've got on my list though, which I'm going to guess is on yours somewhere. Um, if we're talking about specific mistakes, just mortgaging the future to Wayne Rooney um, in 2014 was a catastrophic error that had a really serious knock-on effect in terms of the wage structure at the club and just in terms of making him basically undroppable throughout the Van Aal era when he just he just gone. Fergie tried to get rid yeah. of him. He was gone. You know, we were playing with half a player, you know, less for, for a substantial amount of time. Uh, well, you know, look, I think through our uh, game club episodes, we've been uh, pretty effusive in praise of Wayne Rooney. Oh, yeah. So now we can, now we can shit on him yeah. a little bit. <laughs> hey, yes. Back to the agenda. No, I mean, yeah, I, I, look, 100% agree with that. It's um, United did the thing they needed to do in 2010 and get him signed up when he was um, questioning the club's ambition, um structure future direction whatever um but yes this was an awful awful mistake uh, to put him on massive massive wages for a very very long time um and to to make him as you say undroppable you know such a, a significant part of the club going forward when he was clearly on the downswing yeah um yeah but look um united have repeated that mistake with quite a lot of players since you know new contracts for a different different Levels, of course. Smalling, Jones, before this, Young, uh, Valencia, a whole bunch of players. Now David De Gea, yeah, we'll see whether he comes back refreshed with his massive beard. What, um, what matter? But, but it feels like you're, you're, he might he might do, he might not. You know, he's he's not at peak David De Gea this season. He's been better, yeah, uh, but not at peak. And he's made some, like clear mistakes but just repeatedly doing this and i think again it's obvious but you have you know proper squad management and a proper plan this doesn't happen does it you have a more honest conversation which doesn't feel like you're desperate all the time yeah you know and i remember at the time our analysis being they probably had to do this because of the mess they'd dug for themselves but i think that was probably ultimately underestimating the speed of decline that was coming um, from Rooney because I think if we'd known what was actually going to happen been more adamant that this is insane I mean at the time it would have felt like such a catastrophe to lose him to Chelsea in the same season that Fergie left um, which is what would have happened but in the end he'd just been lumbering Chelsea with a problem uh, you know he'd have scored 15 goals maybe once maybe twice um, but you know yeah he would have been someone else's problem what else have you got on your list? So I think it's, it's the expensive, shiny signings. So, I mean, like the peak of these is Di Maria, who didn't want to come to the club. Some basic analysis would say this was a disaster waiting to happen. Um, and Alexis Sanchez, who I'm quite sure that there was a book of data at Arsenal that said this guy was shot. Um, you know. Number one on my list just says Sanchez. Like in the number one spot, that's the worst one. Di Maria... I don't we think... are still paying him ridiculous pre-COVID money. I mean, in it, there's not a chance that there's any club in Europe going to take him. He will be back. At, you know, I mean, I guess he's is he coming back? Is he staying in Italy for the remainder of the season? Oh, no idea. His, his his contract is up at the end of June. So who knows? 
I don't know, but he he will be back with us for the next season, which will start in August or September or whatever. So di- no one will be able to afford him. Di Maria, I don't think is in the same category of mistake because I mean I was extremely excited about the signing of Di Maria, and I do think if if Van Hal hadn't taken a huge dislike to him, that could have ended very differently. I don't think that was just he never wanted to be at United and he's a terrible snake in the grass and all that stuff. I, I th- no, I'm not even really saying that, but it's you know part of part of uh, Fergie's due diligence was always into the man yeah. as well as the player, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and it feels like in this case United didn't do that very well. But they didn't really lose anything from the Dimmery deal, did they? They lost they, nine million pounds, yeah, away, which was yeah. amortised, so they literally didn't lose anything in accounting terms. But the um, but Sanchez is. Sanchez is a whole different... And, and Di Maria was nowhere near in decline. He's been excellent for Paris Saint-Germain for most of the oh, time sure, since. Yeah. So, you know, but Sanchez was... Sanchez, they only bought Sanchez because Pep Guardiola wanted him. That's it. Like, we didn't need him. We were starting to build something in that position in the pitch. He... he oh, uh, awful, 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 awful signing. Just, I mean, we've got another three years of him, you know that. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and those those. I little... mean, like seriously, United to get rid of him, we'll probably have to pay him fifty million pounds. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Worth it. Listen, I'll pay it out of my pocket to be honest to get rid of him. <laughs> no, no, I'll do it. I'll do okay, it. okay, good, oh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my my top five was Young and Valencia's fallbacks, mortgage in the future to Rooney, hiring Jose when he's a busted flow, allowing the backroom staff to leave with Fergie, as I mentioned earlier, and then just number one, Sanchez. Just what? I, I once did an article during the Moyes era, 50 mistakes that David Moyes has made. I remember that because <laughs> I did I did 24 for Bleacher Report and you were like, right, I'm doubling it. <laughs> <laughs> Senior 24, I'm raising you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so like, and I think there's one more mistake that has been made, and it's it's just recently. So, despite all the promises of seeking out a technical director, a director of football, sounding out Nicky Butt and Rio Ferdinand and Santa and his elves or whoever it is, um, that they've actually consolidated power uh, amongst the uh, the people who've made all these mistakes. Yes, right? so they've now decided that. They've, they've now they are now successful in the transfer market, um, based on I think the eight games that uh Bruno has played for United and he has been successful. Not having to go at Bruno, but you know, that's not much of a sample size. Um, and Aaron and Wambazaka's season, Bruno, right? If Bruno turns out to be United's best ever. Attacking midfielder, it will still be um, luck. And, and, <laughs> well, luck. They didn't want him last summer. <laughs> well, that's the point. Like it's it's if it's a brilliant signing, they're even more idiots because what was the six months when we ended up like by the time he came, we were however many points it was off fourth that we would yes, easily might, might, have might had. be a Champions League spot and you know nearly a hundred million pounds. Um, that that mistake was so, so yeah no I think they've they've convinced themselves that you know those two signings Wembezaka and and um, Bruno are are the um, uh, you know have proven that they now know the market they are masters of the market and um, Ed Woodward and the analytics department and Ollie can can do this but it's a bigger job it's a it's it's the single most important thing 
in in building teams is playing the market in the right way understanding not not only and this is three parts of this this is the right players signing them at the right price because everyone's got to juggle their budgets even more so now um but also contracts which players when and for how much and which players to let go right and and young and valencia staying for years and years and years past their peak shows you that we don't know that yet yeah and so, so we're storing up massive problems. You know, um, oh, you've you've mentioned this before, but like at the back end of last season, we did some transfer chat on backers content, and I said I think we should sign Aaron Wambasaka. And as you pointed out, like that that's me very happily and proudly saying I don't watch that much football outside of Man United. I certainly haven't scoured the data. You don't need like. To the best data in the game to tell you that Aaron Wan-Bissaka is the best young right back in the country because it was very obvious. Well, certainly the best defensive-minded young right back in the country. Um, the best available young right back in the country. Um, Maguire, who is kind of held up as a, a good signing and, and I think is is a very good signing, really, but he's also absolute evidence of how bad we are at that stuff because, I mean, if this is all true... At the beginning of the summer, Leicester said 80 million. And then, um, you know, Woodward went 40, 80, 50, 80, 60, 80. And we signed him for 80 eventually when we could have signed him earlier, had him for pre-season, et cetera, et cetera, sure. et cetera, et cetera. And it took quite a long time to warm into the season yeah. as well. I mean, it's, I think it's still going to be proven to be an extraordinarily huge fee for, for Maguire. Um, who, who has... Certainly moved United's defensive position forward, but he's not the best defender in the world, which the fee says he is. Yeah, so. right. Absolutely. Anyway, we've talked uh, on this um, here bonus content for almost as long as the main show. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe we should just give this to the people for free this, this week. What do you reckon? Yeah, why not? All right. Um, okay. So thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks, everybody. In fact, that means for listening. Um, and uh, we'll be back with another backers show on Sunday. So that'll be after the season preview show. Um, And until then, in the meantime, please do all take really good care of yourself and we'll see you then. Bye. Thank you.